Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings, and slither in place, because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Our show today is all about most people's favorite subject, confrontation. <laughs> what is it? Is it necessary? Can we get by without it? What does the Bible say about it? And should we all just get a root canal instead? <laughs> yeah, this topic of confrontation always has a certain level of awkwardness, doesn't it? It can be a little uncomfortable, but honestly, it's something that needs to be done from time to time, and it's actually detrimental if we always avoid it. So that's what we're going to be tackling today. Keys to Biblical Confrontation. Right? Yeah. And honestly, I don't like confrontation. I'm one of those people that err on the side of not talking about things. <laughs> but, you know, as we get into this, I really pray that you as our listeners, snake birds, and of course us ourselves, will be able to tuck this podcast away and use it as an encouragement and a resource if and when that time comes that you have to confront a fellow believer. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's always one thing to read about these different situations in the Bible where confrontations were present, or even in history for that matter, but to apply a biblical basis for confrontation in the modern scenario, it can be challenging. And some would even claim because of technology, social constructs, uh, public acceptance, I've heard some say, listen, I know the Bible says to confront certain things, but we live in a different time now. Well, while we do live in a different time now, human nature is not any different whatsoever. We read in Ecclesiastes 1.9, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And as civilized as we might think ourselves to be, God knows us and knows the human character well enough that His Word is sufficient and applicable for all ages, even though it was written thousands of years ago. So, keys to biblical confrontation, we're going to get into it right here. That's right. And why don't we start with our Snakebird special, giving a definition of what the thing is we're talking about. Let's do it, because I actually <laughs> forgot to get a definition this time, oh, so okay. I'm going to let Josh tackle that it. That one fell on my shoulders. I'm going to confront you later about No, I'm just yeah, joking. Okay. <laughs> That's so dumb. Nice. <laughs> okay, so biblical confrontation, and I want to make sure that we understand that this is biblical because it comes directly from the pages of Scripture, the prescription of it, is a biblical directive for breaking down division through having a face-to-face -face encounter with another believer in order to bring or expose biblical truth. So let me say that one more time. Biblical confrontation is a biblical directive for breaking down division through having a face-to-face -face encounter with another believer in order to expose biblical truth. So our topic today is about confrontation within the church. Within the church. Believer to believer. Yes. I think that's important to mention because... I've seen um, certain, uh, some would call them Bible thumpers, belligerently wielding scriptures of deep spiritual value upon people who have no business comprehending those realities. Mm -hmm. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And I think that's really important because we don't want to um, we don't want to put something on someone who doesn't even understand what we're putting on. Exactly. Them. Um, 
my wife and I actually went to New Orleans one year, and out of curiosity, we did take a stroll down Bourbon Street in the PM hours. Now, we were not involved in any tomfoolery or drinking or anything, <laughs> but we were curious, and we went down the street at night, and one thing that we saw was a church group in the middle of the street. It was about six or seven believers, and uh, they had a bullhorn, a giant cross, oh, and they were, you know, they were blaring the gospel through this, this megaphone speaker, and I remember feeling peace and uneasiness at the same time with what I was seeing because what was being accomplished in this scene, uh, it was cool to see the obedience of these believers and spreading the gospel in this wicked atmosphere, but I was also hearing these deep scriptures that simply couldn't be understood by these unbelievers, and it was actually being made a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Remember, the the cross is foolishness to those perishing, and that's why precisely I believe that Paul made the statement, to the Jews I'm a Jew, to the Romans I'm a Roman. We must be strategic in how we reach unbelievers and not throw pearls to swine. Yeah, we live by a certain set of rules and and even directives. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable calling them rules necessarily, but it's the set that Jesus said to live by, and when we expect the world to live under those uh, directives, then we're that's lofty expectations. That's unrealistic. Yes. Yeah, there's a clash there, and it just doesn't fit. Yes. Uh, what did you say? You're cheating on my wife. Yeah. That's <laughs> a, why aren't you being faithful to my wife? Why aren't you being faithful to my <laughs> wife? Exactly, because they have no idea what we're talking about. That's not my wife, and we are the bride of Christ. <laughs> yes, and they're not married yet. We're exactly. we're inviting them into the fold, but exactly. Yeah, golly, I've. I, I remember going even to a, a concert and I saw somebody with a bullhorn and they're proclaiming the gospel mm-hmm. or a form of it, but it's a lot of times highly judgmental. And yeah. it's it to me, it's not a great way to communicate. And I don't know if they've ever gotten any converts like that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe only they know, but... That's true. Yeah. You've got to be strategic. That's yes. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I'd like to say when it comes to confrontation... It's all about love. You have to love someone enough to tell them the truth. Otherwise, they could just be walking around with something glaringly wrong. Let's say that you saw somebody with something on their face. And and you, if you didn't love them enough to tell them, hey, you got a big pimple on your nose or you have you know whipped cream on your mustache or something, then yeah. technically they could be walking around kind of making a fool of themselves. And, and this goes to a, a vastly much greater degree, especially if they're living in sin. Mm-hmm. But if you don't love them, then the truth becomes just as much of a weapon of destruction in our hands as we beat them down. Because if you're coming and you're like, I'm going to confront you and you don't do that in love, yeah. I mean, you are just, you're, you're wrecking them. That is so true. And that really, that, that kind of leads to, to three things that I saw. Um, it's such a snake birdie topic because biblical confrontation is one of the most misunderstood and unbalanced thing I think in the church today. Um, and there's, there's three main categories that I've seen when it comes to confrontation. The first two are unhealthy and the third's where we want to be. So the first, um, category that I have noticed is those who thrive on confrontation, (laughs) which is kind of what you were just talking about. But, um, I think there are probably many different reasons that people fall in this category, but, It is this group, I believe, that is responsible for the massive decline in church attendance with the millennial generation. Mm. 
Um, we're seeing that young people are neglecting the gathering in droves these days. And I know that part of that is inevitable because the Bible tells us that things, as they get further along, we're going to start seeing just how narrow the way is. And um, the end time is going to approach that way. But a huge part of this decline, I think, is because certain Christians in this category who thrive on confrontation are actually condemning instead of confronting. Um, listener, if you've grown up in certain circles, you know what I'm talking about there, too. There's uh, there's such a sense of working these sacraments for salvation that the slightest mistake rains down a hellfire of judgment from fellow believers. And after so many dirty looks, catty comments, and hurtful insinuations, you start to feel like, man, I don't want a part of this God anymore. Mm. And I believe that's that's a big part in why we see um, the millennials uh, falling out of, of church attendance. And I pray you understand, um, God doesn't have that that type of heart towards you. We've mentioned that plenty of times in other episodes. Um, is there a need for holiness and obedience? Absolutely. But please understand that you can never do enough righteous acts to earn your way to heaven. We've said that so many times because that's what Jesus did on the cross. And so that first category that I see is those who thrive on confrontation, which is actually condemnation. Mm. Have you seen that too, Josh? Yeah, definitely. I mean, umpteen times, unfortunately, because yeah. sometimes people will go to war for the littlest things. That's true, man. You know, the hills that are willing to die on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we see that confrontation, it should kind of be a last ditch resort in yeah. a sense. And I mean, it needs to be done. But if you are just ready to roll up your sleeves and jump in, then we really need to check our hearts because, yeah. I mean, you really risk alienating or losing a brother. Yeah. I mean, if someone's wearing their hat during the prayer, it doesn't mean they're going to burn in hell. <laughs> That's just, right. You know, there's certain yeah. hills we just learned to... Yeah. yeah. And if yeah. it's unbiblical, then it needs to be taken on. Exactly. You exactly. Know? So that would be the first category that I see. And the, the second one, who, which is also unhealthy, is those who avoid confrontation at all costs. Mm-hmm. The complete opposite side of the pendulum. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that Paul is addressing a church who falls in the second category, at least for a time they did. Um, the specific situation is that one of the believers there is actually sleeping with his father's wife, mm-hmm. and the church doesn't do anything about it. And Paul hears about this through the grapevine, and uh, he makes a point that even unbelievers frown on this type of thing. And here we have a church that, for whatever reason, is not confronting the individual who did this. And it is the second category of churches that I see currently. Uh, the first was quick to confront all snake. And the second would be so passive that they refuse to confront all bird. Mm-hmm. You picking up what I'm laying down exactly. here? <laughs> we got to be the snake bird. Yes. We have to. Um, so the avoiders of confrontation, while I do believe that that first category is mainly responsible for the numbers of young people leaving the church, it is the second category that I believe is responsible for turning some who stay in the church into tares among the wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, those who think they are saved but are not. Now, I want to be very clear here because that was worded weird. I know. It, it was kind of, you're like, what did you say? Uh, what I'm not suggesting. Come if, again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that if you have a passive nature, you tend to avoid confrontation. Uh, like my brother Josh here said that it was him. Mm-hmm. That you're a false Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, what I'm saying is that when we avoid confronting another believer or sister about an obvious sin that they're willing to live in, then we are actually, in a way, approving of that sin. 
um, we're enabling that brother or sister to live in that sin guilt-free, which will lead to their death. As we see in James 1, 14 and 15, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And we do not want this for our brother and sister. Um, if we truly love that brother and sister, we'll confront them from a standpoint of concern. In James 5, 19 and 20, it says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why we confront. It's not, you know, Some of us are just wired more passive, sure. some more. And that's, that's what we're all about is this balance, yeah. this healthy balance. Yeah, definitely. We have to get courage in order to, to gird up and say, hey, I'm going to talk to this person about this, mm-hmm. especially if it's not like making a mountain out of a molehill that's n- not necessarily detrimental to their faith. Yeah. But when you actually see something in somebody's life that's going to derail them mm-hmm. in, in their walk, then your job is biblically is to go and talk to them about it because you know, I think God might have placed us in that position for that very purpose at that moment. And if we allow that to go by, then like you said, we're actually feeding into that and and in a sense approving just like that passive church with the Corinthians where, yeah. I mean, they saw it and Paul's like, how are we not talking about this? How is this not exactly. a thing? Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what am I missing here? Yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of a story that I heard a preacher tell me once. Well, not tell me. I was listening in a podcast. but (laughs) (laughs) He was talking to me. Yeah, so I felt like he was. But um, he he said that there was this uh, missionary um, family that was in, I believe it was Africa. But one of the things that the the tribes people would say to each other when they thought they were seeing this in each other was, there's grass growing in your path. Mm. And what it was, was they would have quiet times in the mornings and they would all walk to their own particular spots some on a hill some under a tree and they would see whenever somebody was neglecting their quiet time the grass started growing and they would say hey are you okay i see that grass is growing in your path wow and so i thought that was a really cool uh example of just in love going to somebody and hey are you okay how's your walk yeah so and that's that's the third category that's where we wanted that's the snake bird um realm that we want to be in those who uh, and I, I just said those who confront with concern because there's a huge difference between pointing your finger at somebody and honestly trying to help yeah i totally agree and for those of you that are maybe a little bit nerdy like me <laughs> i actually found a formula for confrontation in the bible because there is a prescription for it which we're going to talk about in a second but uh this formula for confrontation you can always apply because humility has to come before honesty yeah Humility has to come before honesty, and it has to all be done in a spirit of love. And that's what Ephesians 4.15 says is speak the truth in love. Because when you look at the biblical prescription for confrontation, it's found in Matthew 18, uh, the five verses there from 15 to 20. um, It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Or another translation says, tell them of their offense. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. 
But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And then it goes on to say, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And I thought for just a second we could talk about just those steps of confrontation. What do you think? Yeah, no, uh, that sounds good. Okay, so first and foremost, you pointed this out, and and I think this is highly, highly important to remember. It's all about a fellow believer. Yes. <laughs> Again, we we want to emphasize if uh, if someone in the world. Um, sins against you or offends you, there is a step of confrontation, but it's not biblical confrontation. And so uh, while humility must come before honesty, even with someone in the world, you can't expect them to hold to our same standards. So again, if a fellow believer sins against you, go and confront them. The Bible says just you and them. And and you want to make sure that this is private. You don't want to just air dirty laundry. And you don't want to go to people at first because you don't want this to become gossip. And the beautiful thing that the Bible says is that if they listen, then you're going to win them over. And together, you're going to grow closer or stronger. And I can tell you of so many circumstances where God gave me the strength and the courage to go and confront someone. And I'll tell you, sometimes they didn't even realize what they'd done. And I'm like, hey, I feel like the air is not clear between us. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, listen, you have to understand. I said this and this happened and this happened. And they're like, oh, I didn't even realize. You know, but as you talk it out, you kind of get that that sense of communication. And so many times you actually come out stronger together because you're like, hey, I'm now on the same page. Mm-hmm. as where you're at. And, and it opens those lines of communication. And I, I dare say, <laughs> because I don't like confrontation, but actually the more of it that you do between someone, the, the better you become as friends and the easier it is to, to have that line of communication open because you're not so afraid of hurting one another's feelings. That's so true. Communication is so key, isn't it? It is. Because we're all wired so differently, and what one person says, don't even know that it offends the other. Exactly. And so that's why we don't let the sun go down without going and clearing the air. So yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah. Okay, so that's if they listen. (laughs) Yeah. Now, if they don't listen... Uh, you're supposed to go back with one or two others. And that actually stems from Deuteronomy 19.15, where it says, you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness, because people can lie. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so um, you now have this obligation to get other people involved, and you want to go and you want to get some witnesses. Now, I want to make sure that we understand that we have to get unbiased witnesses, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of times if you find somebody, you, you want to give them the opportunity at first to even say, 
hey, you're wrong on this. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure that they can speak into your life. Yes. And you're not just getting a posse together. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. You don't want just people that will be on your side. You want somebody who's wise and you want somebody who's going to bring wisdom to this situation and not just gang up on this person that you're going to confront. That's so true. And, and I love the way Jesus lays it out, this whole formula, because uh, we don't see a lot of formulas in scripture per yeah. se, but... This one kind of is, and it's perfect. It's almost foolproof. It is. Jesus came up with it. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah well, we're human. And like you just said, I mean, we're going to find people that agree with our point of view. Yeah. And so there might be cases where you could get two or three witnesses who all think a certain way, but they're still wrong. Mm-hmm. So the next point would be the church in that's a whole nother ball game yes. because that involves a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And I, well, I was even thinking of when they were trying to convict Jesus um, on the night when he was arrested, they exactly. couldn't find two witnesses whose accounts would line up because they were trying to get these false witnesses. Yeah. And this was all stemming from the same exact thing where you couldn't convict somebody of a crime unless you had that similar testimony coming from those people. And so um, that's exactly right. If you go back and you have these people that are trusted and wise and they're weighing in and and then you're confronting this, this brother or sister who has sinned and if they still refuse, then you have to make it public to the church. And now the onus is on them to say, Hey, I've sinned, I'm wrong, I'm going to confess, I'm going to restore the relationship. And if they refuse to do that, even just to the kind of the whole exposure to the church, then now we have this obligation to treat them as if they're of the world. Yeah. And, and, you know, I started to wonder, like, why is this, why is that the case? That seems pretty harsh. And I found this and I thought it was really interesting is that they've forfeited their position of being in the church and they'll now be treated as someone outside the church. And, and, you know, a lot of times when you say they'll be treated like a pagan or a tax collector, the first thing that would come to mind in a Jewish setting is like hatred, Mm. like pure, just anger. But the first thing that should come to a mind of a Christian is sorrow and sadness and sympathy mourning for the the cutting free of that brother or sister. Exactly. And what that does is that puts them from a peer in the church to now it puts them outside of the church that you're actually going to treat them with a lot of sorrow and sympathy and actually almost from an evangelical sense of trying to win their heart back to God. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing is it's not for punishment. It's for restoration and and you're starting over in a sense, you're asking God to win their heart. And Mm -hmm. depending on what the disagreement is, you know, a lot of times um, Paul said, hey, put this man out of the church, deliver such a one to Satan that he might be saved. And and it's in a sense, it's that wake up call of, oh my gosh, I'm not in fellowship anymore. Yeah. And so that's true. You know, there's a certain point where, where people, for whatever reason, they, they just won't listen to reason from other people. And it's at that point that you just got to step back and pray and and God's Holy Spirit will step in. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's the formula's there. I mean, that's how you got to do it. It is. I've only seen this done in all the time that I've been in church leadership. I've only seen this done like two times. Yeah. And the person just refused to, 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 I guess, bend or refused to 
confess or or just ask for forgiveness, repent. Yeah. And it sucked. <laughs> yeah. I remember know, one no other Sunday. Way to say it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember one Sunday that they they basically made an announcement to the congregation of that last scenario. Mm-hmm. And it's super awkward and you're you're sad, but it's um it's something that they're doing that the Bible instructs and it's yeah. while it's uncomfortable, it is it's something we gotta do. Yes. Because I mean, a little a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I don't know. It's it's really rough, but it is what God prescribed. And I've seen it. I've even seen the full circle of it where that person um, was willfully against, you know, repenting and against admitting their fault. And they went all the way to basically being kind of put outside of the church. And mm-hmm. I've seen them even come back now as yes. as a, as restore, you know, restored restoration. And there's a lot of peace knowing that that can happen mm-hmm. and that God will take you back because, uh, I mean, it just shows his mercy and his um, long suffering yes. with us, even at our most hard headedness. Exactly. Because we're all willfully disobedient in some way, form or another. Yeah. You know, and hopefully true. we have the softness of heart when somebody comes and says, hey, I see something that you've done in your life that's not good, that we would have that heart to go, oh, I've sinned. Yeah. So is that the end of the of the formula, Josh? Because if it is, I w- I'm going to do a U-turn here. Go for it. Okay, so as I was, I was looking at all this, I started thinking to myself, like, what to confront someone about, okay. uh, the criteria. We were talking a little bit about this, the, the hill to die on, but it, it's definitely a case-by-case sort of thing, I think. Um, but the number one thing that I think we should look at is this. Is this thing that I'm confronting someone over something that they just missed the mark on? Mm. Or is this something that they are leaning into okay. or living in? Yeah. Um, I think something that I've personally had to feel out as I've gotten older is when I was younger, I was much more judgmental and pointing people's faults <laughs> out, you know. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, I realized that in almost every case where I see something in another believer that bothers me, it's usually something that God has had a great deal of patience with me on. Mm. And so we've got to remember that for one. Uh, well, it, it, that's my experience. That's something I've noticed in my life. That reminds me of let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Exactly. Yeah. And um, there are certain cases where we need to just be vigilant while the Holy Spirit does the confronting of the heart. But then there's other cases that we have to go through what Josh just just laid out for us, what Jesus said. Um, but I also, um, I can't help but think of this infamous person I've heard of before named Captain Obvious. And it's like if someone's on the way to get their mail on a snowy day and they slip on the ice and fall on their rump. Captain O at this point would say, hey, you know, next time you should try not to fall like that. That's dangerous. <laughs> You're like, uh, no, duh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't be that person, all right? right. Um, no one likes that guy. Uh, when someone falls, they know that they fell. And if they did, they don't need you to come to the obvious you know, Captain O point of telling them they did. What they actually need at that point is for you to help them up so they can be on their way. But as far as situations that do require attention... I, I think it's so important that we seek the Holy Spirit. Um, things that people are leaning into and living in, like adultery, drunkenness, if they seem to be living selfishly instead of having a servant's heart, these are things we have to feel out case by case. Yeah. And sometimes it's necessary to let the Holy Spirit do His work, mm-hmm. but there's sometimes that the Holy Spirit nudges us 
to go and, and do our work. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a, a pretty important thing also is to is to know the criteria. And, and while it's case by case, don't just, if someone misses the mark, don't be Captain O. Yeah. So. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think of um, just the various times that I've seen where, especially someone who's very zealous, yes, it's like they have their spiritual six shooters on each hip and they got their Bible bullets ready, you know, and we can't be someone's Holy Spirit necessarily. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> if someone's having a bad day, there's a possibility that a bad word might slip out of their, their mouths yeah. or they might do something that you know, is not pleasing to God. And that's not a good thing. You know, sin is never great. We don't want to ever, um, even minimalize it. Uh, but we know that when someone's caught in a sin, that's what, uh, Galatians six, one says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. And that word caught is also, um, another way to say it is overtaken. Like it's taken away. Yeah. And I think of someone who maybe is starting to live in that practice area that we talk about where you, you're like, Hey dude, it's, it's not like you missed a Sunday. It's like, you've been missing a month of Sundays of church. Yeah. And I can see that you were on a path to God and it's not like you stumbled and fell and skinned your knee and went, Oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. And then got up and kept walking on that same path. It's like you saw a detour and you, you, you wanted to go to the, the not good Disneyland. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and like You're headed towards a bad place and, yes. and you want to come and you want to restore them. Yeah. And I love even the word restore there is like resetting a broken bone. It means patiently and tenderly. It's not that, bro, I see something and I'm going to beat it into you that you're yeah. going to get back on this road, you know, and Bible bullets and, and throwing scriptures in their face. Yes. That's not it at all. It's the tenderness of Jesus. It's that snake bird that comes in and says, hey, I see this in your life and I want to help you get back on track. And it's and that's why this is such a snake bird topic because the balance needed. I mean, it is man, it stinks to see somebody. And it's always um, interesting how somebody from the outside looking at someone else's life, uh, the person in the middle of a mist of whatever emotional thing they're going through that's causing them this detour. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they can't, they don't see these baby steps that Satan has led them. Yeah, but you can, and so knowing the balance of how to approach that. Yeah. Man, it it can be very tough. Well, I think that's why we have to walk in so much humility. Yes. Because um, like Paul said in uh, Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And James said in chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mm. First shall be last. Holy. Yeah, it's all through there. Well, too. and that's the thing is, and I I wanted to talk about this in a minute, but a lot of times if you come at somebody with a confrontation, mm-hmm. man, our initial response yeah. is to to defend ourselves. Yes, and out come the knives where it's like, but you know who you are and what you've done. Yeah, yeah that's our initial yeah. reaction. Yeah, no, that's true. And that, you know, that's one more thing that I saw as well is um, because this initial, this first step toward them in the confrontation, it's always, you know, that's kind of a pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. Um, 
make sure that your concern isn't overshadowed with hypocrisy. Yes. Uh, Jesus makes this very clear in Matthew 7, 5, where he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, what this does not mean is that we must be without sin before confronting another believer because that's impossible. Yeah. We all have moments where we sin, um, even seasons, but uh, if it's obvious that we ourselves are in a season of disobedience, then our instruction towards another is completely compromised. Yes. Um, because remember, how well we are abiding is a direct reflection of how much the Holy Spirit is involved in us. Mm. And if we aren't abiding correctly ourselves, then the counsel that we try to give is, is going to be influenced by our will, not God's. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how well we know God's Word. If we confront somebody while we ourselves are distant from the Holy Spirit, then we are also distant from love. And you kind of made this point earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So it is so important that we ourselves are walking as close as possible to the Holy Spirit when we confront a brother or sister, because if we are doing that, then hypocrisy will not overshadow our concern for them, and they'll receive it better. Yeah. We have to deal with our heart first. Yes. And I, I I love the hyperbole that Jesus uses in Matthew 7, where he's like plank eye or, you know, you've yeah. got a log in your eye. Yes. You know, and you're like, I'm trying to see the little splinter and you're walking around and it's just this giant two by four exactly. in your eye. And, and I mean, I hope that the audience that day was listening and laughing because yeah. That's the, the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. And, and the people he was referring to there, that was like the church leaders. Yes. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot to look there. <laughs> look at there. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, one of my favorite bands growing up in high school was a band called Plank Eye. And, you know, of course, it <laughs> always made me think back to the scripture. And I, yes. I really loved it because of just the, the spiritual, I guess, clarity of it, of saying, hey, make sure you deal with with yourself before you go and try to help someone else and, and point out their faults. Yeah. Because like you said, we're never going to not have sin in our life until we get to heaven. That was a double negative, which is awesome way to talk, but yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going to have sin in our lives always until heaven, which, and then God's going to eradicate it. But until then we can walk in the spirit. Yes. And we can be filled with the spirit. And it's important that you know that listener, because I, I know for me, I went through, um, some just bad theological understanding early on in my walk where I thought that, man, I can't confront anyone. I've got to deal with this first. Oh, yeah. And what that becomes, you don't realize, is working for salvation. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Ooh. Because you're sitting there, you're saying, I can't confront them until I fix myself. And that's that's what you're thinking. And yeah. so it, we, you don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to have severe issues yourself and try to be... That's why it says not all should be teachers. Yes. Because, I mean, there's these type of things we have to keep in, uh, in perspective. But, yeah. 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 Okay, so one of my examples that I'm going to bring up, I think this segues right into it, is the chiefest of sinners coming to um, confront the first pope <laughs> in Galatians chapter 2. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was sitting there for a second. I was like, what? Who are you talking about? <laughs> no. Um, okay, so Galatians chapter 2, Paul is writing his letter to the church of Galatia, and he's telling this story about Peter 
coming and eating with the Gentiles yeah. and he's just having fellowship with them and he's really enjoying his time. And then a group of Jews show up and all of a sudden Peter's like, <laughs> and yeah. he scoots over and he starts only eating with the Jews yep. and Paul sees it and he gets pretty direct. He, he says that he stands condemned. <laughs> That's about as direct as it gets. Yes. And I was wondering, you know, I didn't even think about this until we started recording just now, is maybe sometimes the directness is dependent on how long somebody's been in the faith or um, how much you know and understand that they can receive this this confrontation. Exactly. You know, maybe a brand new Christian, you're not going to come and just be like, you stand condemned. Wake up. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah exactly. You stand Paul, condemned. Paul knew that, P- I mean, that's a heavy confrontation. Yeah, yeah. Paul to Peter. Yes. Paul didn't walk with Jesus like Peter did. Oh, no. So there's all, Peter almost, if you were to get fleshly, Peter had seniority big time. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were going to call this like a sports event for Christianity, this was a heavyweight boxing match. It really was. Because anybody that, if I mean, if Paul didn't pull Peter to the side, which hopefully in the spirit of, you know, the way that this was supposed to go, he did. You know, he came and talked to him privately in, in the prescription for biblical confrontation. But yeah. I mean, I if, any... Paul's a firecracker. <laughs> if anybody was watching, they're just like, close your mouth. Because like, I mean, they're probably watching going, oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, for real. And that's a that's a heavy confrontation. But uh, man, I'm... and and he was just saying, you're misrepresenting everything that God wants to do in the lives of everyone. You know, yeah. rise, Pete, kill and eat. Come on. Yeah, you're exactly. the one that brought the gospel to the Gentiles. So yes. don't walk in hypocrisy. And part of part of confrontation is the fact, uh, if it's healthy, is the fact that you're taking the God so seriously, God's word yes. so seriously. And that's a healthy thing. Well, and I think that pointing to different examples gives a lot of tact that's because true, yeah. you talk about Paul pointing out the church in first Corinthians, ignoring and turning a blind eye and him just saying, this should grieve everyone because even the world doesn't allow this. Exactly. It's, it doesn't, you know, they, they don't have it set well with them. Yeah. You know, they have an e- uneasy feeling about this. Then why are you guys turning a blind eye? Yeah, Exactly. And um, for me, I have one more example. I was thinking, and this is kind of a cheat because God instructs Nathan to do it, but I love the way that Nathan comes and he uses his snake bird tact to confront King David. Yeah. And he comes in and he tells him a story and he points out his sin through the story. And I was, uh, I had to write this in my notes. Uh, <laughs> don't always try to come up with a story, <laughs> you know, to, to make it an example of somebody who's sinning because you might not concoct the, the wisest one and yeah. it may not land like uh, Nathan in his uh, one sheep story that David resonated so much with. Not all take to parables the same, <laughs> yes. especially if you're not a good parable maker exactly <laughs> this is something that i believe god brought to nathan and was like tell him yeah, this story you might have someone say that was the dumbest story i ever heard <laughs> well you see there's a there <laughs> oh my gosh that's funny you might hear uh do what this this west texas cattle owner he had five cattle and yeah and then next thing you know that person called their cattle stupid <laughs> why did we go all southern <laughs> was, it's my fault i'm sorry Sorry. No, I did it too. Yeah, okay. Well, this, because, it's make fun of Stephen Day. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so don't always try to make up your own parable unless you really know. But um, yeah. the tact that he used and the result of it, because David was so invested and because it kind of hit him square between the eyes, I mean, next thing you know, David's like, oh my gosh, I've sinned. And, and yeah. I love Nathan going, you are the man. Yes. You know, but he he confronted him in a very smart and very tactful way and, and a lot of strategery as yes. he went to talk to him. As George Bush would say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so, no, that was a perfect analogy for it because or example for it because I mean Nathan he did. He did it very strategically. And I don't know I don't know if it was David was just so much a man after God's own heart or if it was that tactic of Nathan's but mm-hmm. it was received well wasn't it Yeah it was it it mission accomplished Yes exactly it accomplished what it meant to Yeah and I feel like that's another thing that should go into the formula of being humble and actually praying and seeking God before you just fly off the handle to say you've done the wrong thing you know because yes. It's not always going to be received right, even when you do it right. But if you're bathed in prayer, a lot more times, as you spent time with Jesus, you're going to be more humble like Jesus as you come to talk to somebody. I think that 95% of the time, confrontation, or if you're having to approach somebody, confront them, it should not be done impulsively. Yeah. Uh, there, I think there's probably 5% of the time where somebody's about to do something really stupid and you got to act quick. Yes. But um, 95% of the time, like Josh said, you got you to gotta pray about it. Don't do it impulsively. And I pray that it's never done in a spirit of joy. You know, like, I'm going to tell him that he's wrong. You know, oh, my turn. <laughs> Here I am, Lord, send me. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> go forth. By the way, I'm God's confronter. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody with saying that that's their title? And it's like, oh, man, you, you missed the boat dude yeah yeah you're off the reservation here that's true and i and like we said a second ago it it is case by case you don't always see the same result you don't always see the same approach i think of another extreme example of confrontation is ananias and sapphira when trying to lie to the holy spirit Mm. you know that's probably been done since then and people haven't dropped dead there's certain times there's certain things that call for certain uh, measures, I guess, but there's yeah. some, I mean, confrontation, it, it needs to happen. Uh, it doesn't always happen the same way. Yeah. And I do have one more example myself um, from the Old Testament. Oh, good. And that is the battle against Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. Um, this confrontation is found in Judges 19 and 20, and it's one of the most gruesome confrontations in the Old Testament. Yes, uh, The scene is started when a certain Levite traveling with his concubine stays the night at the house of a friendly old man in the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. And just like the scene in Sodom and Gomorrah, some wicked men from the tribe tried to engage this traveling man sexually. But when he refused, they ravaged his concubine all night until she died. Ugh. I mean, that that is wicked. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, for that to have happened. And to make a long story short, all of Israel revolted against the tribe of Benjamin. Um, Before punishment, they were given the chance to surrender uh, the men who had committed this atrocity. But instead of purging the wickedness from their tribe, the tribe of Benjamin chose to fight in their defense. And the punishment, Israel raided the tribe until nearly all of them were dead, decimated 25,000 men. And not only was God aware of this punishment, but he authorized it. And the reason is because confrontation was needed and necessary. 
But that's another extreme example of confrontation from the Old Testament. Yeah. I remember I was teaching um, the book of Judges to a middle school group. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to one of How the... do you do that to middle school, <laughs> man? That's intense story. Well, I was talking to one of the dads and I was like, we're coming to a maybe not a great chapter. And he's like, you should skip that. And I was like, in this case, I'm going to agree. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> I can't VeggieTales this story. <laughs> so funny. What Wasn't there, uh, we were serving in a church once and that you were trying to decide whether it was appropriate to show the kids. There was like a cartoon of, of a battle in the Bible and heads were rolling off oh, bodies and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta be strategic in teaching yes. too. So. Yeah. Well, you know, like in VeggieTales, they talk about somebody who's going to go away to eternal torture and they're like, you're going to the island of endless tickling, you know, and you're like. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that got dark. Yeah, <laughs> but in in the the uh, Ninevites were fish slappers. Yes, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, versus what they actually did. Exactly. So how do you talk about somebody that ravaged a concubine all night to death? Yeah, and then he cuts her up in eleven pieces or yeah. twelve pieces and sends them out. Like, oh yeah, that's intense. That's gross. So yeah. that needed some confrontation for sure. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You know, another scripture that I found that was really interesting comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is actually talking about murder, and it says, you know, the the heading is that murder begins in the heart, and he says that you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I tell you that anyone who hates someone in his heart has actually already committed murder. And he goes on to say, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you... Then leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. And I think there is that two-way road of saying, hey, if I know that there is division between my brother where I need to have that avenue open for him to say something into my life, yeah. then I want to go as well. And and I mean, that that gives him an opportunity for God to use him in that kind of confrontational way. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just all about breaking down division within the body of Christ. That's true. And you know, I don't even have this in my notes, but I was just thinking as you were talking about that. Uh, oftentimes, don't we assume that there's a right and wrong side in yes. confrontation? Yeah. So I was just thinking about that confrontation between Paul and Barnabas. That's exactly where I was going. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess perfect segue. But I mean, that they might have both been right. Exactly. They just need, they didn't work well together. Well, yeah, neither of them sinned. Yeah. So it's not like anyone has a biblical like place to stand and go, you did wrong. Yeah. We, we shouldn't always assume that there's a right and wrong side to this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, unfortunately, in the body of Christ, a disagreement is just a disagreement. Yeah. And I mean, I love that saying that we've heard so many times. I think I first heard it from my dad, but it's, we have to agree to disagree Yeah. and we have to let it go. But. I still I still have situations in the back of my mind that ended with that phrase. <laughs> I yeah. never let them go. <laughs> no, yeah. That sounds like a Facebook argument. Yeah, guys guys have such big egos sometimes. That's yeah. hard to do, but um yeah, yeah. Well, and and maybe in the smaller things, we can just agree to disagree and yes. and we can still be friends and we can still be brothers and unfortunately, sometimes it gets to that Paul and Barnabas magnitude yeah. where it's like we're going to 
We're going to separate. We're going to part ways. Well, and you know, I think it's a sign of spiritual maturity, too, when you can agree to disagree. Yes. Whether that means that y'all can still remain working together in the ministry or or alongside each other, uh, or y'all have to separate. Either way, I think it's a sign of spiritual maturity when that can be done righteously. Yeah. And while it's tragic that they separated, Mm -hmm. God still created two more missionary teams out of it. That's true. From one to two. And what's awesome is later on... After the, the steam wound down, they reunited. Yeah. And it was all good. And they, yeah. I think they probably all just, oh, that silly time. You yeah, know? exactly. Because they all grew and they all realized what God's plan was. Yeah, send John Mark. He's useful to me. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's where we are in our lives, where it's just maybe we're too prideful or maybe we just have kind of that that hill that we're going to refuse to not die you know yeah. we're just we're going to die on this hill yeah you know so and it's important that maybe you listener have um something in your heart that's that's along these lines of confrontation um if it's not something worthy of actually approaching your brother or sister on let it go mm-hmm. let it go because it's not affecting anyone but you give it to god but if it's something you need to confront them on uh, you might need to look into a lot of this stuff we've been talking about. Um, don't just fly off the handle, but follow the formula and do it not impulsively, but by prayer. Practice a little frozen theology. Frozen theology? <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. Let it go. <laughs> oh, my word. That went right <laughs> over my head. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> and I've got, I'm the one with kids. Oh, my God. What, do you, what does okay, that say Elsa. about <laughs> that's funny oh man oh that's gonna be stuck in my head forever now i'm sorry (laughs) no you're good no it's it's true though let it go that's funny so i thought if if it's okay i'd like to just give some keys to biblical confrontation we've already said a lot of these but just to one more time emphasize them and first of all is do it Hmm. it has to be done in certain cases and if you refuse to confront someone then there's a possibility that you're allowing a cancer or an infection to grow by turning a blind eye, kind of like we we talked about with the Corinthian church and that one guy who was doing something so heinous. Yeah. So it has to be done, but it has to be done in the right spirit. And then go in humility. Remember, we're all sinners saved by grace. So if you're confronting someone, you're just two sinners saved by grace. Yeah. Uh, go in a heart of restoration and forgiveness. You know, um, I read this as I was preparing Win the person, not the argument. Yeah. Because if you're going in this to be like, I'm right and you're wrong, then you're already wrong. Yes. You're already starting from a place where it's not righteous and it's not good. Um, go to the offender first privately. Don't make this an opportunity to gossip. You know, I like how when people pray at times, they're like, and I pray for uh, Sue Jean, and I want to make sure that everyone knows that she's been struggling with alcoholism, you know, and you start her heart. Yeah. And you start like openly pointing out their faults in a spirit of prayer. I'm doing quotes, air quotes, because that's terrible. So go to them first privately and don't allow this as an opportunity to gossip and then be honest and don't exaggerate about someone. Don't, don't make a mountain out of a molehill and don't minimize anything either. Just be direct. That's what God would tell us to do. Don't be a plank eye. Deal with our hearts first. Exactly. Uh, don't go alone a second time. 
make sure that if you're going to go out and you have to go back because they didn't receive it, get one or two faithful witnesses, someone who can tell you you're wrong as well. Yeah. And you might find that if if you that there's something that you're trying to get some witnesses together on, if they're like, "Hey, actually, you, we probably shouldn't be confronting them over this." Exactly. You gotta be mature enough, humble enough to admit that you're wrong to drop it. Yes. Or go back to them and tell them that you apologize for coming to them in the first place. Yes, and that would be important too. Yeah. If you're mature enough. Yes, and you have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then be transparent in all of it. You know, communicate with clarity because if you're going to confront someone, don't be like, remember that time, you know, or, or don't say you hurt my feelings yeah. now deal now for now confess to me yes. <laughs> now, you know, ask for my forgiveness. And I mean, be specific, be transparent in your communication because, you know, our hearts, we can't wear them on a sleeve and this the Christian life is way too big for a little division about somebody who has hurt feelings or somebody who stepped on each other's toes, whatever the instance may be. And if it's bigger, then, you know, treat it as that and, and make sure we walk in humility going, Hey, I saw this in your life. Can we deal with it? Can we help you restore? Yeah. And then also fight for the friendship, you know, Make sure that you're on your knees because that's where the battle is going to be. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual powers and principalities, things that are outside of the human realm necessarily. And sometimes that's what's influencing someone to sin and to fall away. It always is. Yeah. And that's why this confrontation, it's an icky word, but is so important because souls are at stake. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Be like Jesus. Jesus was never afraid to call someone out. Yeah. And he would do it, again, to the measure of their maturity or to the degree of what they could handle. Yes. And, you know, if it was a Pharisee and it was a hypocritical moment, he would call them out to their faces and he would try to give them examples on how they could be restored. And if we look in the Bible, how many Pharisees turn to Christ? It's awesome. Yes. I mean, even when we were talking about in Acts a few weeks ago with uh, the... um, the profile we did on Philip the Evangelist, we didn't get to that verse, but it talks about how many of the scribes and Pharisees were actually being converted to Christianity. Yeah. And it's really cool. And so Jesus knew um, what level to come at someone with. If mm-hmm. it was somebody who was already beaten down and already um, that's true, already hurting, he yes. would he would still confront them, but he would do it in a much different way. Exactly. Woman, where are your accusers? Mm-hmm. You know. Perfect. So, Perfect snake bird approach. Exactly. Yeah. And I wanted to say this, the Christian life is not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes this is a full contact sport yes. and we have to be bold in dealing with division in the body of Christ. That's so true. And one thing too, I was just thinking about, um, I know we're wrapping this up, but it speaks that the formula Jesus gave that Josh just laid out uh, again, it really speaks to how well you're connected you personally to God, you with God's people, and then even more collectively than that. Yeah. Because the first part of, of the formula we saw was you going to somebody because you saw something wasn't right. Mm. It wasn't according to God's will. And that, that comes from you knowing God's word and knowing God. Yeah. The second part of it, having two, uh, two or three witnesses, that's a circle of people 
that that you are familiar with that y'all pray together with you're you're connected with other christians you're not going to go get some random joe blow on on the street that you you know is a christian but you don't really know him that that speaks to having a connection of an inner circle yeah and then collectively with the church and i would just say that if you find that this is broken after step one if you don't have a connection with two or three other believers that y'all can come to an agreement with this this approach on you need to have that. Mm-hmm. And then even beyond that, uh, the church, if they refuse, because I, I know that I've gone through steps one and two before. And when it got to three, I spoke to the elders and they were basically, listen, we don't want to chase away members. Oh, yeah. And that was the that was the stance. And, and it didn't get dealt with. Mm. And um, eventually that church split. But um, it wasn't healthy because they didn't confront. Yeah. So if this formula is broken after step one, you might be connected to God, but you also need to have an inner circle of people too. Yeah. So I, I just thought of that. No, yeah. I was thinking about that last night where our vertical relationship mm-hmm. has to be right in order for our horizontal relationships to have to be, in order for them to be correct as well. So true. And, you know, when you're going to speak into somebody's life, Make sure that you're already in their life. Yeah. You know? True. Because exactly. it's a very cliched saying, but people will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And if you're only coming at them to, to run up on them and to dunk on them, quote unquote, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to dunk on you by telling you all your faults. Yeah. Then if, if you don't actually already have a relationship, then it's not going to do them. Good. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to receive it. Yeah. So that's, that's where all the humility and stuff comes in. And that's where having that established relationship is so good. Yeah. So true. So our goal in confrontation should never be to inflict pain or seek revenge. Our goal should be to honor God and bring him glory through following him. And like I said, pray before we go, ask God for a pure heart, put ourselves in their shoes on how they're going to respond. And then don't react in sin because people might respond with crazy accusations. They might respond with, well, you did this and you did this and I saw you do this. And, you know, our initial human reaction before accepting something that somebody tells us is typically denial and anger and deflection, um, all those things. Human nature, the natural response to accusation is defense. Yes. But a new creation, someone who's being made more like Christ, they respond not like that. Yeah. So it's it's a snake bird avenue yeah. for sure. And I'll tell you this story. I have a good friend who, like, when I've confronted him in the past, I know it's going to be a fight for the first, like, five hours. Mm-hmm. And then usually after they've slept on it, it's it comes back and it's like... Yeah, you were right, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I mean, that's, that's typically how I do too. Cause I'm like, you're wrong. You're, you're dead wrong. And then of course, you know, if we're not in the spirit or maybe we're just, just self-defense, you know, we're defensive. Or about... maybe you are wrong. Yeah. I've, that's well, happened to me before too. No, I've, I've been wrong. I've just been defensive about it and not wanting to admit it. And oh then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you <laughs> I probably came off weird there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe you're wrong, Josh. <laughs> no, I was, no, I was speaking in, in regards to my own experience oh, yeah. towards myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, that's the thing is typically if somebody really has prayed about what they're confronting you about, yeah, search your heart because if you're being confronted, there is most likely either a nugget of truth or it's absolutely true. Yeah, you know, 
you've heard the phrase truth hurts yeah. sometimes it does and you know if they, if you think they're they're completely wrong then pray about it and yeah. you know and of course don't let it get to step 3 don't let it get yes. to the church because all you're doing is just not giving god the glory yeah and or 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 it could be the Paul and Barnabas thing. Maybe neither one is wrong. Yeah. And if that's the case, you be y'all be mature enough to <laughs> y'all y'all be mature <laughs> enough to to separate ways. Say, listen, I'm not going to budge on this because I truly believe in my spirit and based on God's word. Yeah. This is not a thing. And yeah. both parties might feel that way. Maybe the best thing is y'all need to um, operate in your ministry with other believers apart from one another. Yeah. But David said it so well when he said to God, search me, know me, yes. try me and see if there's any fault in my heart. Yes. You know, cause nobody's going to be able to reveal that better than God's Holy spirit within us. Yeah. Very and true. so we just have to be, it's, it's a snake bird issue. It is. 100% because yeah. too much confrontation, bad thing, too little, yeah. not good. But in the right spirit, the right heart, the right setting, it's it's actually very freeing. Yeah. And that's the result is a lot of time you you feel like it's, I don't know, you, I got spanked as a kid and a lot of time it was like I hated it and it hurt, yeah. you know, and that chastisement of God comes and you're just like, why? And then afterward, you're, you're, you actually feel freer. Yeah. And that's what I've experienced with confrontation is I dread it all the way up until it. I don't like it. I don't like that spirit of uneasiness between a brother that I love. But when you finally finish and you're like, hey, we're on the same page again and and the division has been abolished, then you're like, wow. It's a weight off your shoulders for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good analogy, too. I've seen that with kids and I remember it as a kid. Yeah. I found this last quote, the person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge, which he himself must walk over. Yeah, that's that's good. And so we just, biblical confrontation, it does exist. Yeah. It's still uh, called into play. It's, there's a prescription for it in the Bible Mm -hmm. because we need to actively do it when it calls for it. Yeah. It's not going to be comfortable, but it's something that has to be addressed. We come to those things in life and you got to address them. Yeah. And Hey, these are things that Josh and I have, you know, looked at, uh, through studying God's word and things that we've seen in our own experiences, but reach out to us if there's, um, there's some even stickier situations, yeah. you know, and, uh, just let us know if this, uh, if this has helped y'all out and, and give us some feedback on it too. Yes, definitely. Um, we love to pray for you in the challenges or the successes that you're having. And we would love to hear that story. So please yeah. reach out and send us a Facebook message on our Facebook page, which is, of course, Snakebird. Or you can uh, reach us directly by email, which is connect at basnakebird.com. That's our website, and you can find resources there. Uh, you can also subscribe to our podcast, which is how you're listening to us. And if you can give us a rating or a review, that would go a long way. And of course, it helps us realize that we're kind of going the right direction that God is calling us to, and it helps us connect with you and say, hey, we're doing what um, what God is is pointing us towards yeah no that's so true because it, it, it helps confirm what god's put on josh and i's heart if we can hear from you guys and if y'all 
and it helps get the Snakebird podcast to more people. If this is uh, benefiting you, please, you don't know how much it would help to, to get a review and a rating uh, if God puts that on your heart. So please uh, do that for us if uh, you feel led to do so. And subscribing and sharing helps the algorithms and all of those things. So um, if you're able to do that, that's awesome. Yeah. So always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid of biblical confrontation and be a snake bird. bird.